Awesome. It's so good to be with you guys. Thanks for jumping on online as well. For those of you on there uh, as well, so good to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, each of you, man, so, so thankful. Uh, man, God has been so good to us. I mean, like, like last week, we had, I think we had 43 uh, people joining us uh, for worship last week. Um, and I know many of you are, are, man, have been really on board. Some of you from the very, very beginning uh, joined us, uh, really, even as we began those conversations. So today, what I want to do is, is really put down on paper uh, for you. That's why we're passing out notes online. It's in the chat. Let us know if you don't receive it. We'll get, or Austin will just send it again just in case because I'm not 100% sure. Sometimes you see the things in the chat if you joined after he put it in there. So we'll just add it one more time just to make sure. But that's the notes. Uh, you can follow along, fill it out. Um, and some of these things are really already, some of the things that we'll talk about over the next few weeks are already on our website and there's more detail. Um, man, when you, when you think about start, starting a church, uh, there's a lot that goes on. <laughs> there's a lot of those things that you just have no idea. Uh, I mean, in a sense, you had an idea until you're actually doing it. Uh, and so it has, been, it has been a whirlwind. Uh, and really, I wanted to kind of just share really, really briefly uh, at the beginning, and then I want us to walk through our mission and values today, this week. And over the next few weeks, we'll walk through even our statement of faith. What do we believe? If you're saying like, well, you're, some of you are like, man, I'm on board. And you're like, well, what do you actually believe again? Uh, so uh, to get us all on the same page. Um, last week, our last point in the book of Titus, we talked about the importance of the purity of Christ's church and the unity of Christ's church. That God, I mean, the Bible tells us that Christ is building his church. I mean, Jesus, when we talk about church, right? Okay, so I want to give a little bit of definitions. I don't have these like on paper for, in front of you right now, but just you can kind of listen or follow along or write down notes as, as you want to on the back or something. But um, when we talk about church, first of all, it is something that God himself instituted. Uh, we see he instituted in the Garden of Eden, he instituted the family, the family dynamic of a man and a woman uh, in a covenant relationship together. We see that he institutes this in the, in the, and then even throughout the Old Testament, we see how a collective group of people, the Israelites, God's chosen people are to be different than the society around them. I mean, the society around had all kinds of values, all kinds of virtues, all things that they thought were of importance in the community. But God set aside a people in the Old Testament, this group of people, the Israelites, to be a certain group of people who are going to follow a certain way of life. That's why you have the Levitical law. That's why you have all, when you read Leviticus, when you read the Old Testament, you see some of the things God was instituting. It was setting his people apart from the world. Now, does it mean that he pulls them out of the world? No, that's not. We see that in Scripture. We see that in the New Testament. God doesn't say, okay, now you're, you're following me, so now go hide in a cave and just to protect yourself from uh, the, the evils around you. And so you just go and like hide and, and stay away from the world. No, that's not what Scripture tells us either. But in the New Testament, what we see in the book of Acts is we see the beginning of the church. Christ said first, before he even leaves earth, he talks about how he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And what was it founded on? What was that church conversation that Jesus was having with Peter and his disciples about? It was about who Jesus is, right? The question was, who do you say that I am? Was the ultimate question that Jesus asked of his disciples and he asked of Peter. And Peter responds, you're the, you're the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the one. They, they understood who Jesus was. So when we talk about the church and like, whose church is it? You know, we have church names like this one, Redeemer Community Church. There's churches all around us. There's different names, different um, uh, denominations all over the world. There's different even religions all over the world. But even when we talk about within Christianity, all the different denominations and everything. Um, ultimately, what we would say as a church, when we talk about the church, we're talking about it's Christ church. He is the head of his church. If you read in the book of Ephesians, we learn about who Jesus is even more there and how he, he, he tells husbands and wives in chapter 5, he's telling them, hey, listen, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. I mean, we see Christ, again, as the example first and that he is ultimately the head of the church. And then, as we looked at in our series in Titus, we looked at how where God puts in and he institutes elders and he puts these official positions within a church of elders 
and these elder overseer pastors all were saying one office who are to bring leadership. They're to be gifted in teaching and communicating God's word clearly. That's one of the characteristics that are distinct from the deacon office that an elder is able to teach, Timothy tells us. And so here he institutes this church. But then here's the thing, and I brought this up a little bit last week, is why church, why should, why should a follower of Jesus connect with a local group of followers? Why should we be connected to a church? Why not just live like, okay, you follow Jesus and you go and you just do that kind of on your own, right? Like you got your Bible, all right? So you have God's word, you heard the gospel, and then you believed and you have a Bible and then now you just live your life. Is that the example that we see in scripture that you just, all right, you go and you live for Christ in your workplace. I mean, all we'd say good things, right? Live it out in your home, live it out in your community. But there's something unique in scripture that calls people in a local place around, centered around God's word, believers, people who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone, have repented of their sins, that they also gather together locally as a church. We see this. I want you to grab your Bible. Look with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to actually look at a lot of scripture. So if you have a Bible, if you don't, don't worry about it. You can use your device, whatever you have there. Uh, The people with devices, you'll probably find it faster because we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. But Acts chapter 2. Look at this. So when Al Potter came, he he shared a kind of a brief message looking at even this passage. And it's such a great passage because the church is forming. I mean, the gospel is spreading. Peter stands up. He preaches the gospel. Thousands of people get saved. He calls them to repent and believe the gospel. Now, what does this group of people do? What is a function of a church? What does it even look like to be a part of a church? Look what he says in verse 42. Or or go back to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So for one, let me pause there really quickly. Again, to even be a part of church, right? To be, to give yourself, to be a part of that. We would say the first step of obedience after following Jesus, giving your life to Christ, submitting to him, repenting of your sins, putting your faith and trust in him. That first step is believer's baptism. I'm going to talk more specifically over the next few weeks about some of the ordinances on baptism and the Lord's Supper and even looking at Scripture and, and, and our statement of faith kind of at a high level. But here we even see before we, like the church is forming, what are they called to? They repent of their sins, they believe in the gospel, and they're baptized. And so what we would say, even as a church at Redeemer Community Church, one of uh, the, the expectations, not expectations, the one of the requirements, I will put even stronger, requirement for membership to be a part of the body of believers here at Redeemer is to place your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, repent of your sins, and have been baptized by immersion. Now, some of you, maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you grew up uh, uh, in a Catholic home or maybe in another denomination where infant baptism, those things are. I'll talk more about why we believe in immersion. What I mean by that is by going underwater uh, in a few weeks Basically, I'll give you a real synopsis really fast. The reason we believe in that, for one, the word baptism literally means to immerse. The actual word is like to be immersed in water, not just poured on or not just sprinkled on. Um, And also, when you read the New Testament and you look at the Bible, how was Jesus baptized? He comes up, he goes up, and he comes up out of the water. When uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized with... um, uh, uh, Philip, when Philip shows up, shares the gospel, the man's just reading, happens to be reading that day in Isaiah 53, the, the amazing passage on Christ and the suffering servant. And, and then what happens? Like, he's like, hey, you're to be baptized too. And then and the opening looks and he says, hey, there's plenty of water over there. Well, what's the need? Why not just pull out of your camel back, you know, your camel, pull out some water from your jug and just pour it on you and call it baptism? Because again, the model that we see in scripture, and then another that I'll mention in a few weeks is um, this, it symbolizes something. It symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Pouring doesn't symbolize that well. Symbol, the best symbolization of water of baptism is death with Christ, being identified with his burial, with his death, and then also his resurrection to, as, for, as, Peter, as Paul even says, to resurrection to new life. So it's a symbol. It kind of got sidetracked there. But that being kind of what establishes what we're going to say being a part of a church looks like. But let's look at what Acts chapter 2 says. It says this, here's the church. They're starting to gather 
together. And they says, and it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And notice this in verse 46. This isn't solitude. Verse 46 isn't like, okay, now you've put your faith in Jesus. All right, now go back to your home and go live your life for Christ, studying the Bible, following good, being a godly person, being an influence in your community, sharing the gospel with other people. No, what do they do? Look at, look at it. It says in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together. So they gathered together corporately as a body of believers. They gathered kind of what we would call like a larger gathering, a large group gathering. On, you know, here they're gathering together in the temple, the temple courts, and breaking bread, notice this, and breaking bread in their homes. So we see them gathering together locally and kind of a large group gathering of like the, the collective group together. And then we see the smaller group happening in their homes as they break bread together, as they celebrate communion together, as they reflect on what Christ has done together. You see the large group and the small group aspect there. And so as a church, we say, man, membership and being a part of a body is important. Why would membership be important? Why would it be important to be a part? Do we see like specifically membership in scripture, like the word membership or, you know, covenanting together and signing some agreements and those kind of things? We don't, we don't see that very explicitly in scripture. But what you do see is a responsibility over and over again as you read the New Testament. You see the responsibility of elders. Why would there be a need to submit, to, as Peter tells uh, the, the church, the exiled church, as the elect exiles are spreading in 1 Peter? Why would he tell them to submit to your elders? Why would he say submit to them? Because those elders are responsible for the local church. Like Now, is it my responsibility for the people who are attending some other church? I don't know those people, right? So you have to be known. You have to be, you have to be known. You have to, uh, to join up and be a part so that your elders do know you, that you're in a small group so people know you. So I'm, I'm telling you, what, what you see in a church is a responsibility. Why would there even be a need for church discipline like we looked last week? Obviously, that means there's a part, there's a, a part where you're a sta- there's a standard. There's, there's standards being set. There's a lifestyle of following Christ that's an example. And so here we see that over and over again in Scripture. And I could talk all day on that. So I want us to really focus on us, Redeemer Community Church, our mission and values. And so you've probably heard this one over and over again, but you have it there in front of you as well. And some of you maybe have already filled it out. I hope you actually have. That means maybe you caught it on a little bit. But it says this, Redeemer Community Church exists. So why do we exist? What is our mission? What are we, what do we want to be about long term? Like this is who we are. We're a people who exist to help people joyfully follow Jesus and make him known. Redeemer Community Church exists to help people joyfully follow Jesus and make him known. We're going to look in a little bit of one of our values, even on just joy. Why emphasize joy here? Uh, because probably for some of you, if you've ever been around other believers and you've like Walt was telling, you know, he said this a few times about the group here. Like they're a, we're like a singing people. Like you can visibly hear us singing. Now he was saying now, you know, he's gotten in front of other groups sometimes and it's like you're like you're a soloist. You know, you're just playing and you're singing. Everybody's just looking at you like very stoically like and they probably even know the song, <laughs> but they're like, Mm-mm, you're not getting me to sing today. You know, and you're like, where is the joy? Like, where, when, I mean, David, it talk, I mean, in the Psalms, it talks about shouting. It talks about, you see, like, exuberant worship. You see a joy that comes from, uh, um, from following Jesus and a love for him that is just infectious. It's inexpressible, even as, as uh, uh, Philippians tells us as well. But this joy should be present in our lives as we. Follow Jesus and make him known. So look at Matthew 4, verse 19. Matthew 4, verse 19. So Jesus calls the first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 18. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, notice what he says. This is Jesus. He's calling them. He says, follow me. So he calls people to follow him. Now, do we call people to follow us? No, we call people to follow Jesus, right? Like that, we're not Jesus. We don't call people to follow us. We say, follow Jesus. But here, Jesus is the one doing it. So he says, follow me. And then notice what he says next. And I will make you, I mean, we've probably all probably heard this verse before. I will make you what? Fishers of men. So what, what is he saying? He says, hey, follow me and I'm going to teach you. Walk alongside me. So for three years, for three years, Jesus is going to walk alongside Peter. Uh, Simon here that we see Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, other of the disciples. He's going he's to walk alongside these people. He's going to teach them. He's going to show them. He's going to help them. They're going to get to observe him. It's a lifestyle of following Jesus. You see, church, when we talk about church, church isn't just gather together and sit and let's hear and let's consume worship. Let's consume teaching from a pastor. Church is also something that we do together. It's something that is not, I think the tendency is to think of church as a building and church isn't a building. It's it's a gathering of people. It's It's a body. When we talk about church, we're talking about a body of believers That's why God gives each of us uniquely spiritual gifts. Why? To use them in the church as a body. Some people have the gift, have different gifts. And like, there's some things that I am incapable of doing. I just don't have it in me. Like I can try, but I'm going to struggle. It's going to be hard. For some of you, you're like, hospitality is your thing. And it's like, just comes natural. It's easy. And for others, you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? Clean this dust over here? I don't know. Like, I can, I can, I'm like, when Amanda's like that, I can vacuum. I know how to do vacuum. Like, tell me to put stuff away. I don't know where it goes. I've been, I've been living here a long time, but I still don't know where it goes. But give me the vacuum. <laughs> when, when, when we're having people over, it's like, I, I run to the vacuum. I'm like, I know how to do that, <laughs> right? Like, there's certain things that I know what to do. When it's like, put the boys' clothes away. I'm like, what? <laughs> I freak out. I'm like, I don't know where they go. I have no idea where they go. Um, and so, but in the church, we all have gifts, abilities that are specifically spiritual gifts. God gives at least one, maybe others get some more, uh, but no one has all of them. But God gives these gifts to the church and it's for as we follow him, as we follow Jesus, here's the call and here's what he says here. We're to, we're to make him known. He's going to teach them as he tells them here, I'm going to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I think that's such a remarkable statement. Immediately they say, okay, I follow you. And so the call of every follower of Jesus is to follow him first, to be a follower, follow Christ, his commands, his teaching, to do that alongside other believers and say, okay, hey, I'm following Jesus. Come join me. So you're going to make him known to the community, to your coworkers, to family, to friends, random people you come across we're to make him known. And this is what we want to be our mission. And we want to do this with joy. Experience following Jesus as joyous. Sadly, I've come across too many people who profess, I want to be clear here to say professing believers who say they follow Christ, but man, their life does not reflect any joy. I mean, it looks like drudgery. And you're like, no, that's not, that's not, what, following joy, that's not what following Christ should be look like. Sunday should not be a drag. Sunday should be a celebration. It should be a joyous celebration. It should be a time of like, man, like encouragement of like, man, this week was hard, but man, I'm looking forward to Sunday, to gathering again, to the smiling face, seeing other people who love Jesus and are walking with him too and are struggling as well and want to help you along when you're struggling. It's the one and others of scripture. And so we as a church want to be committed to helping people joyfully follow Jesus and make him known. And that's really a circle. It's a cycle. It's like, you know, we, to the world, we make him known and we, we call people to follow Jesus. But to us as individuals, we follow Jesus and make him known. So looking at our, our core values here, um, I want to walk through these and give enough time for each. Um, so the first one here you'll see there on the, to the left is biblical authority. <clears throat> and so what our core value here is this, is we believe in the sufficiency and supremacy of scripture. We believe in the sufficiency, don't ask me how to spell that, I don't even know either, but I think it's S-U-P-R, supremacy, supreme without the E at the end. You drop the E and add A-C-Y, I think. 
That's what I have written in my notes. I have no idea. Uh, we believe in the sufficiency. That's what word auto-corrected it probably for me for. Um, but we believe in the sufficiency. I think two F's in that one. But uh, we believe in the sufficiency and supremacy of Scripture. We believe in that God's Word. Okay, first, we reason why we say it's sufficient and that it is supreme. Because we believe it is God's Word, not man's Word. Right? So if you look at um, 2 Timothy 3, So, uh, again, some of you probably have memorized this before, but 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and 17. Such an important verse uh, to understanding Scripture. 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17. says this, verse 16, All Scripture is, notice this, this is a really important phrase right here, breathed out by God. Uh, uh, A kind of a churchy word we use is inspired. It is God-breathed. So here it's saying all scripture is breathed out by God, meaning it comes from God, meaning it's important. (laughs) Like it comes from God. It's essential. It's needed. It's necessary. And because it's from God, it should be supreme. And because it comes from God and we've got God's word collectively together, we would say it's sufficient. And what for? Notice what he says here in verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. And notice this, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, right? Like, it trains us. God's Word trains us. So it should be our guide. And so what is our response to God's Word? We should, be, we should approach it with humility. You know, so for, for me, for instance, one thing that I really try to work on when I'm reading Scripture, it's okay, when, when I'm reading Scripture is I want to come to God's Word with a humble heart. Humility is so important to come to God's Word because it's easy to just read God's Word and kind of do a check mark, like, hey, I read Scripture today. But when we come with humility, what we're saying is, okay, God, I trust that Your Word has all authority over my life. It is my guide. And if You tell me to do something that I need to do, I'm going to do it. If You tell me not to do something, I'm not going to do it. It has final authority in Scripture because it's supreme and sufficient for us. You can look at some of the other verses I mentioned there, but that's our, one of our key, We want that to be our guide because it's easy to drift away from Scripture and become like, hey, man, culture says this, or, you know, culture is saying, well, I mean, okay, Scripture's outdated. It's, it's got some errors. Maybe they, don't, don't, they see it as infallible. You'll see this in our statement of faith. There's more to our statement of faith on Scripture than just these, these two words here. Um, but, uh, but these we want to be our core value that we're saying, okay, we allow, the Bible is our authority. It's biblical authority. It's what we look to as our guide and our help. And so we believe in the sufficiency and supremacy of Scripture. Number two is this. We believe the gospel changes everything. We believe the gospel changes everything. I wholeheartedly believe this, that God's Good, the good news of Christ, what Jesus has done. Okay, well, let me just define really quickly gospel. Gospel literally means good news. You've probably heard me say that a hundred times already, but still, it means good news. But what is that good news? And we refer to it as the gospel, this gospel that Paul talks about. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us clearly what the gospel is. So 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> And you might be asking, you know, okay, Eric, like these are, these are great. I mean, it's good to have these things. Why? And why, why now? Why are we going to spend a, a, a good bit of time on this over the next few weeks? It's because if we want to impact and reach the world, we have to be united. We have to be united around a vision. And so maybe for some of you, we walk through this and you're like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not sure this is for me. That might be a potential. That's a, that's a risk that we're going to take going through this of saying, okay, this is what we want to be about. There might be some things that we can have conversation about and have clarity on, but it's like, if we're going to reach people, we've got to be on the same, we got to be in the same heartbeat. You know, man, when you think of a team, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, when you think of a team tonight, they, I mean, they've got to be, they've got a game plan in place. They've had two weeks to get this game plan in and they're going to put it all out on the line. They're going to try to execute really well, but they're all going to become in with the same game plan one game plan. And they're going to come in with this mindset of, okay, this series, we're focusing on this. And they probably, they usually script out their first series or two of the, of a game. And they have a game plan of how they're going to play defense or how they're going to attack this, uh, their defense with their offense. What happens when, 
when uh, Odell Beckham, the likely person to do this is what I would say, <laughs> deviates from the game plan and is like, no, I'm going to run a post here instead of a corner route or whatever. What happens? Interceptions happen. When someone is like, you know what, I, I, they didn't have the right mindset. They were thinking they were supposed to zone block left and they go right. And then what happens? The quarterback gets sacked because someone deviates from the game plan or they, 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 they mess up. They forgot the, what they were supposed to do. You see, core values and mission are a guide that we unite around to reach the nations. And we want to collectively do that in unity. And so that's why. So look, look first, when we talk about gospel changes everything, and specifically here, what gives us gospel urgency. Look at verse, uh, verse 1, he's, or verse, verse 3. <clears throat> he says this, For I delivered to you, notice the, way he, the phrase he even uses here, as of first importance. Paul is emphasizing the importance of the gospel here. Like it is supreme as well. It's like it's above. Like when we focus on scripture, scripture is pointing us to the gospel of Christ, right? Like all of scripture points us to the gospel. From from Genesis 3 or Genesis 1, even God creating the heavens and the earth, all the way to Revelation, it is pointing us and centering us around the gospel. Notice what he says here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So here's what this first importance is. Here's what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Again, the importance on the scriptures there, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. So he physically died, right? Death happened. He didn't just get beat up really bad and then he walked out of the tomb kind of stumbling. No, like he he physically, bodily died and was buried. He was placed in a tomb, he says, that he was raised on the third day back to life. And notice again, in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And he tells them that this is what's important. I'm telling you of what's first importance. Here's the gospel. Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, and appeared to all these people. I mean, like, the, the fact of the resurrection is so, so uh, compelling and strong that this is what leads us to share this good news. Why do we say, you know, follow Jesus and make him known? Why not just follow Jesus? Because this is good news. Good news is meant to be shared. The gospel is, is, it shows us urgent need. Like, I mean, I'm t- when you look at people and your heart, start, when your mind and heart starts to view people as people who have maybe not heard the gospel, it should lead us to more boldness because there's urgent need. We talked about that urgency last week, the urgent need that, that, uh, that Paul ended the book of Titus with, to doing these good de- deeds of urgent need, like noticing these urgent need and meeting those needs. Why do we send missionaries? Why do, we, why do we have churches like these outposts all over the world? Like, like thinking of a church is more like, a, like an embassy that's sitting in a foreign country to, to, to share and to, and to function from our, our other country that we live for. And then we talk about the kingdom of God that we live for as a people, as a church. And so we, we do this and we do this with an urgency. You see, if we believe the gospel changes lives, That should lead us to a gospel urgency. It should lead us to live with great expectation for God's word to change lives and the gospel to change lives. I mean, again, as I put here, Romans 1, 16 and 17, right? Talks about how the gospel is the the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. I mean, it's for every person. So it should lead us to gospel urgency. Number three, third value is this, prayerful dependence. We want to be a people who are prayerfully dependent. So this is number three. We believe apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. What I mean by that? Well, I mean, of course we can do something. There's a lot of churches that are functioning apart from God. There's a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus and are really doing that apart from God. There's a lot of people doing good things apart from God. Well, what do we mean by that? We mean Of course, you're not going to be able to do anything of substance that God cares about apart from Him. So when we plan out a service, when we sing together, when we gather together um, uh, collectively as a church or we gather in small groups in homes and in different places, 
Um, when we do those things, we do that with prayerful dependence. And we don't want to make decisions apart from God. Uh, this verse, I have prayed, I've prayed this prayer, uh, and that's why I wanted to put this emphasis in there. I pray this prayer very often. Um, because if you look at John 15, John 15, it's the vine and the branches. So, you know, all the, the I am statements as you're walking through the book of John. This one, he talks about I am the true vine. And in John 15, <clears throat> Excuse me, in 15, uh, verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 5, says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? For, like talking about fruit, bearing fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And apart from God, we can do nothing. And so we call on God to help. We ask his help. We seek his Face. We ask for His help. We ask for His guidance. Um, man, this is so, I, I want this to be such an important part of each of our lives, that we are a people who are prayerfully dependent, that we cry out for God to save people that we know, that we're God, God, will you save them? Not that, will I just go and tell them about Jesus? Will I dedicate myself earnestly to prayer and praying for the lost? Do I pray for God to build His church? Do I pray for this church? Do I pray for one another and God to answer these requests? I mean, I have a, I have a friend who shared this request. I mean, I just when we had prayer, uh, prayer time just a couple weeks ago on a Thursday and hearing your request, like I want to be committed to praying for those things. Asking God, because I want to be saying, God, apart from you, we can do nothing. We can't accomplish what we want to accomplish without you. I love how Moses does that in the, in the Old Testament. Like, like when, when God is upset with him, he's like, I'm not leaving unless you're going with me. Like, uh-uh, I don't want to go. Like, I'm staying put <laughs> if this is what it means. If it means I get to go do what I think is right, or I want to go do this, or the people want to do this, that's great. But if you're not going, I'm not going either. Because we want to say, we want to understand this truth that apart from God, we can do nothing. Be prayerfully dependent. Number four, intentional relationships, the importance of intentional relationships. And so here's number four, and I think this is really important. And I want this to be a key component of us growing uh, through this value is this. We believe discipleship. So discipleship is, follow, is that part of the follow Jesus, right? It's growing and, and then it's also making disciples. So we believe discipleship happens through life-on-life life relationships saturated in Scripture. So we believe discipleship happens through life-on-life relationships saturated in Scripture. You see, in Matthew 28, it's the Great Commission, right? We're to make disciples of all nations. What are we to do? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice what's next. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, the importance of Scripture is, is, is key in the discipleship process. If we're going to grow and follow Jesus, we got to know what He's like. we got to know what He likes and what, he, what He's calling us to do and to follow. And so we look to Scripture. So we saturate that in Scripture. But I want to emphasize this. We grow not individually by ourselves. Yes, you're, you, can, you can come to love God with all your heart as you just spend time in God's Word. There is importance of having intimate time just alone with God. Um, we see that throughout Scripture as well. But how do people naturally grow? How did the disciples grow? They were with Jesus and with one another. Over and over again, you see in Scriptures the one another's of Scripture. You know, like, I mean, look at some of the verses we have here. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Um, I want to look at several of these because I want to emphasize this one pretty strongly. So 1 Thessalonians, so as you go towards the back of your Bible, of your Bible here. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to... Notice what, what Paul says. Paul's, Paul's speaking here. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we, we were ready to share with you, not, notice this, not only the gospel of God, like they wanted to share the gospel, right? Because again, the gospel changes everything. That leads us to be urgent. But notice what he says next. The gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You see, there's the importance of relationships and that growing us and shaping us and challenging us and helping us. In Galatians 6, I mean, look at this. This is such an important part because we all struggle. We all fail. We're going to fall short. 
because we're broken sinners. Notice what he says in in chapter 6, Galatians 6. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So if you're by yourself walking with Jesus and you get caught in transgression, how are you going to recover? I mean, yeah, maybe you'll just come to your senses through the Spirit. But notice this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Notice verse 2. This is a command of Scripture. This is an imperative. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, this is the calling of the church. The church is, there's the one another's of Scripture. How do you do this? How can you help someone if you just sit beside him on a Sunday morning every week? See, it's, it's, that's why I want to emphasize life on life. It is spending time with people. Jesus spent lots and lots of time with his followers. And he only focused on a few. So don't like be like, man, I'm going to make disciples of the whole nations. And I'm going I'm I'm to transform Gwinnett County and Hall County, Jackson, all these counties. I'm just going to reach them all. Like, okay, that's great ambition. But just start with a few. Start with one. Who's one person that you could start investing in? Or if you're struggling, who is one person that you could reach out to and say, hey, would you help me? I'm struggling. I'm caught in a transgression right now and I need help. I need someone to be praying for me actively. I need someone to be speaking truth into my life, walking with scripture with me together because again, life on life relationships saturated in scripture. I, mean, I want to I, I look at actually all these verses here. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs. We've been reading the book of Proverbs. I haven't quite made it to this one yet, but chapter 27. <clears throat> Proverbs 27, 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and and do not go to your brother's house in the days of your calamity. Notice this, what he says right here, this last two lines. This is what I want to emphasize. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Better is a neighbor who's near, who's walking with you. You might have a great brother. Like I I have a great brother. Like I love my brother. He was just here, but he lives three and a half hours away. Like, and that's not a bad thing. Like, I can have a good relationship with my brother. But it is, what he's emphasizing here as this, as this wisdom, uh, as this proverb, he's, he's saying, listen, what are we, what are we to be doing? We, we should have, it's better to have someone who's a neighbor who's walking with you in life, who's there to see when you're offbeat, when you've kind of strayed a little bit. They're there to encourage you. They're, they're the one that's also there to say like, hey, keep it up, man. You're doing awesome. I'm so encouraged by how you're, how you're doing, how you're walking with the Lord. Because it's better to have someone close uh, walking with you. Um, Hebrews 10. I know we're going on a big Bible journey here, so a little Bible sword drill today. Sorry, I'm not giving any prizes, but <laughs> stand up. Who's got it? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Hebrews 10. Such an important. I want. To, I want you to understand how important this process is. You see, you cannot. Don't think that you're just going to be discipled just by showing up to a service and consuming content. You're called to a life of following Jesus, and that life is to be lived with others, not in seclusion, sitting on a back, like just sitting on a back row every week and just and just singing along and watching and then listening to a sermon and then just going back to your car and we'll do this again next week. It's life on life. It is meant to be lived together. Hebrews 10, 10 verse 24. <clears throat> Even the, this whole section, verse 19, I could read the whole thing, but we won't. But it's the lettuce um, passages here, not lettuce like that you eat, but let us. Um, he mentions over and over again, let us hold fast. Let us do this. Let us do that. Look at verse 24. He says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The importance of walking with people, gathering together. Remember in the, in, in the Acts chapter 2 passage, they gathered in the temple courts together as a group. And they also, in their homes, breaking bread together. They were a people who lived life together. And we want to be that kind of people. So that's number four. Quickly, number five, we believe people are the mission. We believe people are the mission. This is missional living. So as you're following Jesus, we also need to be seeking out 
lost people to have relationships with. Now, we have to be careful there, right? Like, there's a, it's an easy drift to be pulled into a lifestyle and become, like, these are your friends. Like, you're, like, you're, like, living life with friends. Um, I would say that you want that to be your relationships within the church, the body of believers. But here, the emphasis is on, we believe people are the mission. Here's what I mean by that. You're like, okay, well, that's great. People, of course, are the mission. But it's easy to get focused on programs. It's easy to get but like, man, we're a church. We got to be an all-functioning church. And so we need to have, um, uh, we just need to have a, a, a school at some point. And we need to have uh, a, a basketball and soccer program. And we need to have a preschool and a mother's morning out. And we got to have this, this, and that. You got to have all these things. And we can, you know, we, man, we need a ministry for men, women, children, preschoolers, nursery. We need to have, and we can start focusing on, on all these things. And, we, and that's great. But it's easy to get caught up in programs and miss the people that are right in front of us. And so it's easy to just kind of get distracted from this. I want you to look at this, past, two, two things. One of my favorite verses, I think I mentioned this already because I mentioned this all the time, is because uh, I grew up reading the King James Version. And uh, in the King James, as you read the story of the Samaritan woman, Jesus says that he must, this is my favorite uh, King James English language here, is he must needs go through Samaria. <laughs> so I would use that phrase all the time, like I must needs get some coke today. Um, <laughs> But, but, he, but the point, I don't want to lose the point there. It's interesting that he said, I need to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a person there. There was an actual human being that was going to be at a well that day. And it was going to be the Samaritan woman. You see, the, you have to understand the culture, right? Jews and Samaritans do not mix. I mean, that's funny. Jews and Samaritans don't mix because it's actually a mixed race uh, of Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> Uh, but they, they hated one another. And so literally, if you're traveling, you would go around Samaria. You would avoid Samaritans at all costs. So if you needed, because Jesus was moving from Judea and he was going to go to ministry in Galilee again. And so here he was going to go and the disciples were like, all right, sweet, let's go on our journey. It's going to take a while. We're going to go around Galilee. But Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria. To Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman there that needed the gospel. She needed to hear the truth that there was a living water source for her, and that was Christ himself. And then they stayed there multiple days because people matter. Because we cannot lose sight of people being the mission. Um, in, in Luke 15, or, or, or sorry, yeah, in Luke 15, Luke 15 is, is filled with this. I want you to look at this. Luke 15, running out of time. So here, Luke 15. Look at the very beginning. It's famous parables here in Luke 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Notice this, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, they're like, Man, Jesus, he, he eats with the lost people. He eats with the bad people of society. He shares meals with these people, and they're grumbling. So that's the context of why he tells these parables. So then he tells a parable. And what's the first one? He tells about how there's a hundred sheep. There's one lost sheep. And what does he say that a good shepherd's going to do? A shepherd's going to go after that one. He's going to leave the 99 in the open pasture and he's going to go find that one. Because why? Because people matter. And we believe that people are the mission. And so that person is lost. They need to be reached. And so he does that. The parable of the lost coin. Same thing. We see the emphasis on like, man, they're like just scrounging around everywhere looking and they celebrate over this one lost coin. And then he sums up these two, these two parables with this third parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. It's the par- but interesting, like there's two people in the story. I mean, I think most famous person was Tim Keller probably kind of emphasizing this when he wrote Prodigal God, the book Prodigal God. But in that, he emphasizes how, you know, we know the prodigal son and we know he's lost. But what matters to that father, the father cares about that son. He cares because people are mission. And so as soon as he sees the son running, coming, what does he do? He doesn't be like, all right, you're going to earn your way back into this household, son. You've wasted all this inheritance. You wanted it early and you've wasted it. On loose living, you've lived it, you've lived it for your selfishly and sinful style of life. And what does he say? No, he doesn't go, man, you're going to earn your way back. No, because people matter, because the son matters, what does he do? He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He gives him his robe. And he goes and, and, uh, and is like, hey, we're going to have a feast. We're going to have like a massive feast and a massive celebration. Why? Because people are the mission. People matter. But notice also people matter as well, because ultimately that story isn't really about the prodigal son. It's actually about that older brother, because remember the context of Luke 15 is 
the Pharisees hating the lost people, the people who, of society, exactly what the elder brother was doing. He was looking down on those people. You see, the people are the mission. The, 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 the curmudgeon church member who says, this is my pew and you can't sit in it, that person needs to be our mission to the person who comes in after a late night of living uh, out their lives and giving themselves up to all kinds of things overnight. And they just happen to stumble into church. They matter because people are the mission. And we need to emphasize that. We live on mission. We live to be with the lost, to reach the lost. Um, so missional living. And then the last two here, relentless generosity. We live with open hands and open hearts. We live with open hands and open hearts. I want to look at just one verse here. 1 John, 1 John um, 3. It's emphasized also very similarly in, in James as well. But in 1 John 3, verse 16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You give of yourself. You live generously. You say, listen, why does, why, does, why does Scripture talk about money so much? Why does God? Because we know that's a reflective of our heart. And people are always asking, and we'll talk about this later, like, well, how much should you give? Like this, the New Testament doesn't talk about a tithe you know, versus the Old Testament. But here's the reality, whether you give 30% or you give 100% of your resources, your time and ability, what matters is your heart because God cares about your heart. <clears throat> you could give 30% and give it begrudgingly. And God's like, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a generous, cheerful heart. Because God cares about our heart and we want to live that out and say, God, all of it's yours. And if I get a little bit of it, great. But like if I find myself holding back from God and holding things to myself, that's, it should speak to my heart. Where's my heart? What do, and so we want to be relentless in our generosity. We live with open hands and open hearts. Look at verse uh, 17 as he keeps going. So he's like, hey, we give of our lives. We say we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We are generous to one another. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, Notice what he, how strong language this is. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We want to live with open hands. God, this is all yours. None of it's mine. And I live this life open-handedly saying, this is, your, this is your resources. God, use them how you want to use them. God, you've given me this talent, this ability. I want to use it for your glory. I want to live my life with open hands and open hearts. And finally, number seven is this. We choose joy. We choose joy because in the presence of God, there is fullness of it. John 16, uh, 22. John 16, 22. We'll end with this. <clears throat> and over and over again, you see joy is being connected to uh, followers of Jesus. And in 16... Uh, 22, John 16, 22 says this. <clears throat> so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one who will take you, uh, oh, I, put, I must put the wrong verse down there, um, take your joy from you. And so this joy can't be taken from us. God gives us joy. When you look at First uh, Peter, we see how followers of Jesus are to be a joyful people. But ultimately we're told in scripture that that in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Like when you're in God's presence, there should be joy. This is what leads the psalmist and David to dance before the Lord. This is what leads him to write songs about God. This is why he sings these songs. And that's why he, he starts pounding drums and he starts uh, smashing together cymbals because God is great. And in his presence, there's, it stirs up affections in his heart. And it leads him to a love for him. And listen, this is what is infectious to the lost. You know, what's not infectious is a bunch of people who are like, man, following Jesus is hard. And it is hard sometimes to follow Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It is hard to follow Jesus. But it is one of the most joyous experiences of your life to follow Him. And what we want to do as a church is we, it's what we want to exist to do, is to help people joyfully follow Jesus 
and make him known to the nations. And we want to do that collectively. We do that collectively as we gather together, as we worship him. We do that as we scatter into smaller groups and as we live out our life throughout this community. We share the gospel with the people around us. We want to make him known. And my, my, my challenge and my call to you is this. I want this to be a guide for us. You know, it's easy to get caught up in all the things that we could do. Like, there's a lot of things that we could do. We want to keep things simple. I want to keep things as simple as possible. That, Like, listen, are you following Jesus today? Are you spending time with him? Are you making him known? Are you sharing your life with people? I don't want to like be like, man, you got to come to this church service and that church service and this thing and this thing. And like, hey, make sure you're here on Saturday for this thing and this thing. We want to be like, hey, how can we help you follow Jesus with all that you have, be generous with your hands and with your heart and, and give your life to him saying, I'm going to make you known. Like, that's, that's really what we want to focus on. Keep it as simple as possible. Hey, are we following Jesus as a group of people and are we making him known? And we'll know that as God continues to work and we will do all of that as saying, hey man, apart from God, we could do absolutely nothing. So we rely on you for your help in all these things. So let me pray uh, as uh, Walt comes. We just sing one more song together. Father, we love you. Thank you for um, your word. It is our guide. It is, uh, has all authority. And so we rely on it. We lean on it. We look to it uh, for, um, for help for our guide in this life because it's, it's a tough life to live in. It's a tough world to live in. Uh, you know it because you lived in it. And so, Father, we ask that you'll help us to follow you and make you known and that this, as a church is forming here, uh, God, that we would be a people who would infectiously and joyously follow you and make you known in this community. And so we pray. Man, I was, God, you know this because I already had this conversation with you. God, I was just so excited to just go back to the building uh, yesterday and just see there is desperate need all around us. All these, uh, those apartments just right across the street. I pray right now, even for those people who don't know yet that there is a church called Redeemer Community Church that is wanting to invade their lives. I pray that we'll do that with relentless generosity, with a goal of making you known. I pray for this new, uh, new housing development that you're building literally across the street from the church. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for guiding us to this location. I pray that as we transition there, that we will never leave uh, away from the mission of reaching people and making you known to the world. And so help us in all these things. Help us be unified around this uh, wonderful mission of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that you have commanded us to do. We do this all because you are, have all authority and that your promise of your presence is with us. So help us to do that confidently and joyfully. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.